Hello, and welcome to Best of Shows, a weekly conversation about the biggest things happening on the small screen and a guide to what TV is and is not worth your time. I'm Kristen Baldwin, TV critic and Entertainment Weekly, and I'm joined by my fellow critic and TV junkie, Darren Franich. Hi, Darren. Hey, Kristen. How's it going today? It's going well. What about you? I have to say my brain is a little bit, uh, what's the term for when something has exploded and then the different parts have exploded? It's it's kind of exploded twice over. Um, Annihilation? Be- I don't it's, know. It's been completely annihilated. That's exactly the word that I was looking for. Thank you. Uh, have you seen this week's episode of True Detective that just aired last night? <laughs> I'm laughing because, of course, I haven't. Kristen, let me tell you something. Remember last week when you said a phrase that is really still ringing in my ears, uh, and I believe it was, if I can quote you directly, oi with the universes already. (laughs) So this season of True Detective, season three, it's a very different story from the first two, Mm -hmm. different location, different whole different cast of characters. It's an anthology, Kristen. This is the future of television. TV shows that continue for years and years, that's the old way of doing things. Or is it? Because on last night's episode of True Detective, my favorite character on the show, the nefarious documentarian, um, she was interviewing Wayne, played by Mahershala Ali, who's great. He's not the problem yes, with the show. I, he is I, a I, delight. I, I, I want to make that clear. But but he's he's not as good a character as this documentarian is. I love her so much. <laughs> so she's been investigating this crime and a series right, of right. crimes in the 80s and the 90s and the timelines and all of that. Oi, with the timelines already. Yes. And she suggests to him, Wayne, do you think this case might be tied in with another case? No. And she turns her laptop no. around. And Kristen, what two famous actor faces are on that laptop but Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson? No. She is suggesting that the case this season might be tied in with the case in True Detective season one. How do you feel about that? I do not feel good about this, Darren. No. (laughs) This sounds like a a three quarters of the way through season Hail Mary for them. You know, they've already modeled this season uh, of True Detective after season one and so many ways and it seems like they're now like no, no you guys seriously it's really it's it's connected it's connected <laughs> seriously keep watching it's fine <laughs> The, the best thing is, because again, this character, the, the documentarian, she may still be the villain of this season. It's yes. very unclear to me. So she might be wrong about this, which makes it even stranger that they would like, why have someone who's making that connection if it's not going to be an actual connection? Right. But I, I have to say, I am a little excited now for season eight of True Detective <laughs> when all the timelines will converge Ryan Murphy style. You know, there'll be a nuclear bomb and old Mahershala Ali and old Matthew McConaughey will get involved with the witches or something Ugh. so i had to give you that update but Kristen, let's let's talk about what's new in television right yes, now let's. a lot of things that are new and uh they're not yet in the third season that's awkwardly trying to connect with the first season <laughs> um two new shows debuted on friday that i want to talk about a little bit uh the umbrella academy's first season in its entirety was released on netflix while doom patrol uh, the first episode of that superhero property debuted on dc universe the streaming service that's tied in with the DC uh, Comics multimedia universe. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a a little something about comic books, Kristen. (laughs) Less less and less every year, Um, but I'm I'm vaguely oriented with the comic books that inspired these TV shows. The Umbrella Academy is based upon a graphic novel series by Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba. It is about a, a group of... 
oh boy, this, this show's concept is just so hard to explain. In October 1989, um, a sudden rash of global sudden onset pregnancy mm-hmm. occurred. Um, children were suddenly born to uh, women who had not been pregnant mere minutes or earlier. Uh, some of the children were born with superpowers. They were all adopted by a billionaire industrialist named Reginald Hargreaves and brought to live in a kind of uh, Wes Andersonian fancy <laughs> gigantic house in a city that looks like the Canadian version of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, they became a superhero team, but the series Umbrella Academy begins when they are all kind of in their 30s now, I guess late 20s, early yeah. 30s now, um, and they've all kind of parted ways. They are brought back together when their father m- dies mysteriously, and various superheroic things occur. Meanwhile, yes. Doom Patrol, based upon a uh, DC Comics kind of misfit superhero team, I guess you would call them. Uh, the team was invented in the 1960s, but they were kind of perfected in the late 80s and early 90s by the great Grant Morrison. Um, I, I would describe that show as similar but different. Uh, you have this crew of various people who've all suffered very strange things that have turned them into superheroes. Uh, Brendan Fraser, we begin with him as a uh, sort of real Days of Thunder style uh, NASCAR racer. Um who loses his entire body and becomes a robot man. Uh, there's also uh, Matthew Bomer uh, playing a character that requires his face to be covered his for the entirety of his face. performance. His beautiful face. <laughs> covered. Covered. Uh, and, and, and Indeed, I'm not even sure that, that that's him for the most part. No, I'm it's, sure it's just is, a PA. This is a, this is a strange show that stars Brendan Fraser and Matthew Bomer for like two seconds, and then they're just playing voice roles. Yes. Um, but there's also Timothy Dalton, who's, who, who's, who's one of my favorite James bonds and various other things happening um i'm throwing a lot of things your way Kristen. Yes. and these shows threw a lot of things your way how did you feel about them you're maybe less well acquainted with the source material <laughs> that is a very kind way of saying i have no idea what these things are i didn't you know one of my questions was you know are these pre-existing characters like no idea so let me tell you of the two shows um I think I enjoyed Doom Patrol a little more. And I think the reason why is certainly because I just love Brendan Fraser. I thought he was fantastic in uh, Trust, which was the FX show about the Getty kidnapping, which was an otherwise terrible show. But he was really good. And I think he's very funny in this role as the giant robot, Um, you know, and. I like the fact that this is a little bit more self-aware, you know, like there's a narrator, which you will find out later. Was he the goat that was farting gas, Darren, or was like the goat just, I don't even know. But anyway, the narrator is very cheeky and he's always saying like, oh, more tedious superheroes, just what the world needs or critics. What do they know? They're going to hate this show. So it's very much like it knows that you're over it. Um, And so going into it where they know they're sort of addressing the fact that, yes, it's another superhero show i appreciated that it looks very expensive um very i don't know if it's something that they're going to be able to keep uh up every every episode but then again i guess dc probably has a lot of money um you know there's a lot of there are a lot of tropes in it you know there's the benevolent wheelchair bound scientist father figure the characters with the tragic past they live in a secret hideaway for freaks um I guess for me, I'm wondering if you as a comic book, uh, you know, aficionado, do you find it original enough and interesting enough or were you uh, underwhelmed? 
Well, Doom Patrol is a TV show that I, I, I find it didn't work on me for a few reasons. And I think that this is why I always like talking about these shows with you, because I'm very aware that sometimes I'm, I'm bringing a lot of equipment mm-hmm. to these shows that I, I don't think is actually helpful. I mean, like, like I, I've read a lot of the Grant Morrison run on Doom Patrol, and that is some of the weirdest and wildest comic book uh, superhero action that has ever occurred. I mean, there's one point where he just he brings in like Dada. He brings in all kinds of really <laughs> wacky things. And it's hard, Kristen, because on some level, what I'd want out of a Doom Patrol show, it wouldn't just be an adaptation of that. It would be something that could do for superhero television what he was doing yeah. for superhero comics. You know what I mean? And, you know, we're, we're so besotted with superhero shows now. And I like that, to your point, this show is aware of that. Right. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned the narrator he's played by uh, alan tudyk who i just love um and you know it's it 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 does add this level of self-awareness that i like um but you know if you're so self-aware why are you then doing just a series of trope after trope where the first episode is entirely you know kind of one origin story after another for each of these characters episode two kind of continues that episode two Kristen, which i'm not sure if you watch uh, brings in the character cyborg who has somehow become like one of the most famous characters in dc history he was just in the movie justice league played by a different person so it's 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 very it's very strange for me this is definitely a show where i i'm intrigued to see what people who are just kind of new to this material think because i do think to your point um if you're someone who has largely experienced superheroes via the massive tv shows we've had lately i wonder if this kind of scratches an almost kind of deadpool itch where it's kind of like right. I, I want something that's a little funnier where they do swear um, i do love how I mean, brendan fraser is giving a really wonderful voice performance yes. and you know that, that character or he's essentially playing a giant robot and like he's such a clunky robot i feel like we, you know, we're so used to these kind of like sleek. cgi yeah. sleek droids and he, he seems like he is walking out of a 1950s roger well, corman he movie. looks like frankenstein basically <laughs> yes, like yeah, he's exactly. a robot frankenstein and he's it's very endearing in a weird way yeah, and I guess endearing in a weird way is probably the best thing that I can say about Doom Patrol. Um, how, how did you feel about Umbrella Academy, though? Because this, uh, in, in, in some ways, I, I feel like that might be the bigger release of the two, yeah. just by virtue of the fact that you know it is on Netflix, which you know we're recording this um, a few days before the weekend. For all I know, over the weekend, this became the biggest show in history. Right, I mean, that's exactly. kind of that's always kind of the X factor with Netflix. But what, what was your feeling about Umbrella Academy watching that one? Well, I have to say, uh, I groaned early on when uh, the narration explaining the, you know, the 443 children who were born simultaneous, blah, 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 blah. And then they say an eccentric billionaire (laughs) adopted seven of them. I was like, oh, God, not an eccentric billionaire. And then... (laughs) Wait, is that that what a Kristen's note is? is It just, like, oh, come on. Like, even just try a little harder. You know, maybe just a kooky billionaire. Do you really have to say eccentric? Anyway, so groaning. And then then I got to... In my notes, Darren, literally, I just wrote, oh, my God, there's a talking chimp. (laughs) And then we get to the end, and again, the... This is not a spoiler because we're out later and also this is an existing comic book. Like the the whole goal is, you know, staving off the apocalypse. Another uh, groan. Uh, I mean, I was just like, uh, 
again, oi, with the apocalypse is already. And so uh, this to me felt like we've talked, you know, sort of uh, online and just separately about blank check TV. This looked very expensive. It looked like they spent a lot of money and there was a lot of care taken to make sure this looked really cool. But that's sort of where the care and attention stopped. You know, it was slow and it was like, everyone's unhappy. Uh, there's only one uh, character who I found remotely entertaining and that was Klaus, the drug addicted medium played by Robert Sheehan. Um, everyone else is just miserable and sad. It's very violent. And I just like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm you mentioning just the kind of blank check nature of this show. Um, they even do something that I think is kind of a new stylistic tick in very expensive television where they often shoot scenes with the camera pointing up at people mm -hmm. just to kind of emphasize like look at this huge set that we built <laughs> and it actually has the effect of like it, it, it just looks like a bad angle for yeah. most people I mean and yeah, it's, um, not, it's not cute and, and that's kind of my feeling for a lot of this show you know watching Umbrella Academy really made me realize that just the whole idea idea of what is and isn't mainstream has shifted so much in my mm -hmm. lifetime because you know yeah like this is a show where the end of the first episode is um, w one of the kind of Hargreaves step siblings who's been gone for many many years suddenly returns he's mysteriously not aged a day he's still a teenager he brings d fair tidings of an apocalypse that will happen in seven days and I realized you know not only is this the millionth time that a superhero program a superhero movie franchise the whole thing has been from the start let's stop the apocalypse this is the second time that's happened in something starring ellen page because <laughs> ellen page previously played kitty pride in x-men days of future past which was an adaptation of the single most famous comic book apocalypse story ever and right. so you, you do sort of feel as if we're at this weird point where these stories that seem to think that just by virtue of being super weird they're being original Really right, aren't and it's it's too bad because um, there are these benefits to having a very expensive TV show. Uh, one of them is that in the very first episode, there's a sequence that I, I really loved, where all of the Hargreaves kids are, you know, they're they're back home in this big, huge, decadent-looking, very sad house. They're all kind of in different rooms. Someone starts playing the song. Uh, I think we're alone now. Yes, um, and they all kind of start dancing to it, and they're all kind of dancing alone together and the camera kind of moves out for a very life aquatic-y dollhouse shot yes. of all of them dancing. And, you know, that scene is great. Uh, I've watched about seven more episodes of season one, God help me. There's nothing else like that. I mean, that is yeah. a, it, that is the sort of, you know, Marvel Netflix we took all the budget and did one big action scene and now everything else is going to be people talking in corridors yes. kind of trope. But it's just, <laughs> it's just a little, it's too bad because um, you know, you kind of mentioned the Klaus character character who is very fun and it feels as if he kind of contains what the show wants to be this this sort of darkly comedic take on superheroism and you know what happens when your power is so awful again he can talk to dead people and they mm -hmm. talk to him when that kind of you know turns you into this just hedonist club kid who basically wants wants to die or at least wants to drown out the voices of the dead there's there's fun stuff there but it's just strange to watch something where you get the sense that 
it is swaggering like it's going to be this badass, dark, R-rated thing. But ultimately, you suspect they're probably going to save the world. <laughs> well, right. And, you know, even that sequence that you mentioned, which is, you know, visually very cool, uh, it also just seemed to serve as this kind of clumsy shorthand for, like, okay, they may have their differences, but we know they're going to come together at the end of the day because they're family, because they all like Tiffany, you know, and like, great, great, um, fine. But it, it really was the only sort of fun moment with the exception of, you know, Klaus's uh, character. He, he's very funny. And, you know, but he, that was the only moment where there was any sort of levity happening. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I did not watch more than one. It was all I could do to get through one because, oh my God, there's a talking chimp. I do want to quickly call out, though, um, one thing that I always enjoy in TV shows is when there is a, like, better TV show that is kind of hiding within the greater <laughs> show. Um, and uh, there are a couple of characters in season one, Hazel and Cha-Cha, a couple of hitmen <laughs> assassin um, who get involved with the Hargreaves kids in a very strange and time-travel, dimension-hopping, involving way that I will not get into. Um, but uh, they're played by Mary J. Blige and Cameron Britton. Amazing. I'm not sure if you remember Cameron Britton. He played, um, oh, the like kind of central eerie psychopath in season one of Mindhunter. Um, oh, yeah. The, the kind he's of first so guy good. That interview. He's, he's so good. And they are just, they are a very kind of interesting, kind of funny couple of people. Their dynamic is almost that, you know, th again, they are hitmen and they seem to have a incredible amount of technology at their back. Um, but like they're almost kind of like just frustrated employees for the most part and uh, Mary J. Blige especially I mean it's just it's great to see her anywhere but she especially just has this really casual and funny quality to a character who is almost kind of a Quentin Tarantino-esque hit person but yeah. even even more kind of banal in a way so I, I I always want to kind of say like if we could just extricate that show from the show around it that could be something yeah, like e even literally more give me a show with Mary J. Blige as a hit woman I will yes, take it yes that would be incredible I would that uh, sign me up umbrella Academy is streaming now on Netflix, as is Doom Patrol. Does Doom Patrol do one a week? Is that how they Doom do it? Doom Patrol is releasing one episode a week on DC Universe. Um, and I, I will just shout out, DC Universe is, I believe, the 510th streaming service <laughs> that's available right now. Um, it was also the home of Titans, a show that many people assured me I would like, uh, and I just didn't listen to them because I haven't watched it yet. Uh, but DC Universe does currently have the streaming rights to Batman the Animated Series, one of the best shows in history so if you're going to think about signing up for it for doom patrol uh you you will definitely get access to some good tv shows from the old days too so i want to give that a quick shout out for people who like actual good comic book tv shows <laughs> so our last show of the week is uh not a superhero show it's a dark dramedy about the thankless work of celebrity publicity flack which premieres february 21st at 10 p.m on pop tv stars oscar winner anna paquin as robin a london-based publicist with a roster of problematic misbehaving celebrity clients. So Robin is a master at fixing problems, whether she's dealing with a philandering TV chef whose mistress has incriminating photos, or a grizzled actor with some very unsavory quote-unquote research on his computer. Of course, her, Robin's personal life is a mess. Her mom killed herself, Robin is lying to her boyfriend about wanting kids, and she's prone to self-medicating with drugs and booze. 
Flack embraces the inside baseball nature of its premise. Even the title, Flack, is sort of a slangy industry term for publicist. And Paquin can deliver an angry, threatening monologue like nobody's business, and she does that a lot on this show. Um, but the show seems to rely on too many tropes that we've seen before, and honestly, it just kind of made me nostalgic for another show about Scandal, uh, the 2007 FX drama Dirt. Yes. And in that show, of course, Courtney Cox was a tabloid editor whose job was to un cover gossip while Robin's job in Flack is to cover it up. But at the core, they're both aiming to be dark, snarky Hollywood satires. Dirt had a harder, weirder edge overall and probably ended up better for it. Uh, You can stream it on iTunes and Amazon, by the way. Darren, shows about showbiz are always a very tricky proposition. What did you think of Flack? Well, first of all, when are they going to finally make the show about showbiz, about the critics who start their own podcast? Because that's <laughs> what the fans are really asking for. Um, Kristen, I'm so glad that you brought up Dirt, which is kind of a like a, a gem of a show that a lot of people need to experience. Yes. Because what made that show really wonderful is what's missing from Flack. Um, this is a very well-acted and generally, I would say, well-conceived show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned... Anna Packen, who's starring, uh, but a couple of the supporting uh, actresses are really wonderful. Uh, I love Sophie Okanito as her boss, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Lydia Wilson, who a lot of people uh, might have seen in the film About Time. Uh, she kind of plays the other uh, PR person who's working with Anna Paquin. I mean, I'll essentially just say Sophie Okanito is basically playing Meryl Streep in Devil Wears Prada, <laughs> and Lydia Wilson is basically playing Emily Blunt. Yes. Um, but but they're both really great, and they, they bring a lot to those characters who could feel sort of cliche at this point. Mm -hmm. But it's just a very strange show. Flack Begins, the first episode, is this sort of super aggressive, you know, this uh, famous UK football star has called up Anna Paquin because he is A, secretly gay, and B, doing lots of drugs, and C, the prostitute that he just picked up is dying on the floor. And it throws you into this real darkly comedic vibe. But then the show seems to want to have it both ways, and there's a kind of runner throughout the the pilot about the fact that um, Anna Paquin's character is grieving the loss of her mom who committed suicide last year in a really awful way. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems to want to constantly take a step back from what's making the show funny and kind of say, but you know what? Like on the inside, she really has a lot going on. And I I sort of think that that is a weird detriment to the show. I understand the urge to kind of dimensionalize her, um, but it actually seems to lessen the the somewhat harsh reality of the show. And and maybe I'm wrong, but Dirt was not going for that. Like Dirt was not a show that was occasionally sort of zeroing in on Courtney Cox's face and saying, ah, but like, you know, on the inside, she's special. It's it's, it's just a weird... And, 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 you know, I, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to say the show shouldn't try to be serious, but it, it just, it, it's, it seems to dilute the dark comedy right. when it goes for those kind of more emotional notes. There's literally a moment at one point where somebody says to Anna Paquin's character, you're complicated. There's oh. a lot happening behind your eyes. And it's like, oh, <laughs> show don't tell. And so, yeah, it really, you know, I, I'm not sure what part I'm supposed to invest in and it felt they did feel very separate the part where she is like you know putting her own life aside to solve these problems these hilariously sort of awful problems that these celebrities get into and she figures out a way she sublimates everything and just figures out a way to get it done and she does it in a way that is uh you know 
just intensely uh, focused and funny in that way? Uh, or are we supposed to be concerned about her, you know, she's worried that her mom had mental health issues. Does she have mental health issues? Like, is that why she's pretending uh, that she wants to have a baby, but she's secretly on the pill? Like there's, you know, there's sort of all this, I don't know who I'm supposed to, uh, which side of Robin I'm supposed to invest in. And and, it doesn't seem clearer to me that the show knows as you said yeah. um and, yeah and it's even more noticeable because again you know lydia wilson and sophie okanito they are just so great and they are playing like characters out of a yes. bleak comedy i mean they are cynical and they are you know just these wonderful personalities that are both very hyperbolic but also feel very true to that kind of high stakes yeah. crisis pr world um and it just seems as if uh, this is something i'm noticing more and more in a lot of kind of dark dramedies this urge to you know in a pilot that is just so over the top with drugs sex and cheating and all these things that tv used to never be able to do that urge to kind of pull back a little bit and you know there's there's the one scene that really jumped out to me Kristen, where and again you mentioned that anna paquin she can give a soliloquy like no other yeah. <laughs> um, e even if her accent realistically seems to come from four different quarters of the world i literally now. have to look up like is she american because well, i couldn't I, tell I, I She's playing an American, but she's she's from New Zealand. But I think she, I mean, when I, I don't think she has an accent when she speaks regularly at this point. But it, yeah, the whole thing was confusing. Well, because and also she's in London, but so is her sister and her sister's family. And anyhow, it's it's very confusing. But yeah. you know what? It's you know what? It's an It's an international world, and I'm and I'm fine yeah. with that. Yeah, fine. Um, but uh, you know, she gives this speech to a celebrity chef who she is kind of working out of in a major sex scandal issue she gives a speech that, that feels very kind of like me too oriented mm -hmm. and very smart and very savvy and she's talking all about like you know this this power dynamic between men and women and it's really kind of interesting florid dialogue and then she kind of basically propositions him and it's just it's just a strange and, and again like you know I, i'm not i'm not saying it, it's wonderful that we live in an era where we have these complicated female characters but it seems almost self-defeating in a way at times this show when it mixes together this really thoughtful and funny and interesting dialogue with just these almost kind of cheesy soap operatics and i've yeah. I, I i only watched one episode is that balance still kind of unsteady throughout the season yeah you know it it definitely is an ambitious show and i i sort of skipped around and i went to episode five which is a really interesting premise uh it's a bottle episode she's on a plane with an obnoxious client played by bradley whitford who is a national treasure and the the concept of the episode is she discovers from him as they're in the air they're flying from uh london to jfk i think uh that there is a terrible scandal about him waiting for them when they land and she has to figure out how to solve it while they're on the plane you know she has no phone no internet you know she has to like sort of concoct all these macgyver ways to get uh, to get a solution and it's a you know it's a really interesting idea um unfortunately you know i just never really it it still had the same problems that we've been talking about um I feel like the show has a lot of great people on it and maybe it can work itself out. I just wish that it had picked a tone earlier on and, and stuck with it, you know, mm -hmm. because even, uh, I mean, part of this episode is funny episode five, but it's also, you know, she just looks miserable. Yeah. You know? and like I'm sure she is. And that's part of her job is that it's miserable, but you know, I don't know that I want to get involved with that every week. 
Well, maybe she can go join the miserable detectives of, of True Detective. Yes, um, true. Flack debuts this Thursday, February 21st on Pop TV. Uh, Kristen, now it's time for a segment that we call TV Talk, where yes. we talk about TV. And specifically, we talk about what's new in television, what's everybody thinking about now, what's going on with the small screen. Uh, our James Hibbard, our man in Westeros and everywhere else in, in television, uh, wrote a post last week uh, that discussed the TV pilot's guide, every new show in the world works mm-hmm. at the broadcast networks and we thought it might be fun to play a little game with this so i have read all of the titles and all of the summaries for all of the network pilots in james's post Kristen, you've not read any of them no you have no idea what's coming your way i don't so we are going to do a little bit of two truths and a lie pilot yes! edition where i read you Kristen. Uh, the title and plot summary of three TV pilots, and you tell me which one is fake. Uh, <laughs> now, I've taken the liberty. I've taken the liberty of separating these up into different categories okay. to look at the different trends sure, that sure. are coming up in television. Uh, and I have to say, I may have spent uh, more time than I thought on this little game. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. It, 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 I, I, I did do a little experiment with this with my wife earlier today. To to see if uh, this worked, and a couple of them did manage to confound her. All right. Um, so uh, we will see. Well, if she's this way works. smarter than I am. So well, I, I think you know, both both very smart women. It, <laughs> it might just be it, it. It may just be that some of the actual TV pilots are too dumb for words. Yes. And so I, I, I have to say, uh, if you find that I start laughing, don't think that's a clue in either direction because <laughs> during the practice round that happened with a lot of the real ones. Okay, enough talk. Let's play. Two Truths and a Lie, TV Pilot Edition. Your first category, Kristen Baldwin, yes. is Untitled Star Properties. Nice. These, are TV, these are TV shows that don't have a title yet, but they do have a famous performer attached. Okay. Number one, comedy starring Bradley Whitford. A rural church choir gets the director it never thought it needed when a salty Ivy League music professor stumbles through their door. Number two, untitled Brooklyn Decker comedy. A former supermodel flees divorce and financial ruin when she moves home to her parents' farm in Kenosha, Wisconsin. But the simple life isn't quite so simple, and her dad's new cash crop, cannabis, isn't quite legal. Number three, untitled Cal Penn and Matt Murray. Former New York City Councilman Garrett Shaw, Cal Penn, finds his calling when faced with six recent immigrants in need of his help and in search of the American dream. OMG, Darren, these are hard. Mm, they all could be possible. They all could be possible. All right. Talk I, me through it. What okay. are we thinking? All right. Bradley Whitford, I love him. We just talked about him. I do feel like he could be a salty Ivy League something or other that you said. You definitely Uh, look at him and you think salty, you think gravitas, you think music. Yes, I I can see that happening. I can imagine him signing up for a comedy. Uh, Cal Penn, I enjoy. And I think this is uh, the type of, you know, he's both I believe he was in politics in addition to being an actor. And I feel like if he was going to return to comedy, he might go with a sort of politically relevant uh, show, like about immigrants needing help because... Or is that what I want you to think? I know! All right, look, I just think Brooklyn Decker has too much money and she's not doing a TV show. That's the fake one. 
You're correct. Yes! You guessed it. Co- that's correct. Uh, I thought I thought the I thought the detail about Kenosha, Wisconsin might might, might get you. Okay, so that is that is one for you, Kristen. Yay! The next category is star-crossed lovers. Ooh. Shows about romance that may have some issues. It'd be great if they made it. It'd be great if there was a show where there were no issues with the romance. But that's another day. Okay, number one: The Baker and the Beauty. The Baker and the Beauty tells the story of the unlikely romance between a blue-collar baker and an international superstar. Theirs is a relationship that not only upends their own lives, but the lives of their two very different families. Mm-hmm. Number two, The Emperor of Malibu. When the son of a Chinese billionaire announces his engagement to an American woman, his outrageous family descends upon the couple to win their son back and test drive the American dream. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Number three. Number three. Mm-hmm. Romeo and Romeo. A timeless love story with a modern twist. The wealthy heir to a Silicon Valley fortune falls in love with the rebellious son of San Francisco's ailing mayor. What the two young lovers don't know is their families have been enemies for generations and their old rivalry will get a new life. How could they the not know world. that? Okay, okay. Um, uh, the Baker and the Beauty, The Emperor of Malibu, Romeo and Romeo. Okay. The Baker and the Beauty sounds just stupid enough to be an actual show. Um, <laughs> Emperor of Malibu sounds like, um, hey, Crazy Rich, Rich Asians was a hit. Let's try that. Let's put an Asian person person in a show and give them a wacky family because we care about diversity now. Um the Romeo and Romeo actually sounds like a good show, although I don't understand how they could not know that their families were enemies for generations. I don't... These are all broadcast networks. I don't believe a broadcast network is going to put a gay romance uh, on the air at this point, sadly, still. So I'm going to say that's the fake one. Oh, tragically correct. Oh. Tragically correct. <laughs> Maybe on DC Universe. All right, Kristen, that's great. You were two for two so far, oh, but I have to say, fun. I have to say, I spent a lot of time on this next one. Okay. Um, so strap yourself in because this category is unusual locations, <laughs> TV shows with settings that are, let's say, a little eccentric. Okay. Number one, Eden Eternal. In a dark future, a diverse band of Americans escape environmental catastrophe following rumors of safe harbor to Antarctica. There, the melting landscape of the Larsen ice shelf reveals the ruins of an ancient civilization. The advanced technology in this supernatural city could save the world or finally destroy it. Triangle. What if the Bermuda Triangle was not a watery grave in the middle of the ocean, but a land lost in time that has trapped travelers over the course of human history? When a family is shipwrecked in this strange land, they must band together with a group of like-minded inhabitants from throughout history to survive and somehow find a way home. Number three. The Republic of Sarah. A small New Hampshire town is thrust into the world stage when the discovery of a valuable resource within its borders compels the residents to declare themselves an independent nation, setting the unlikely young mayor and her cabinet of inexperienced locals on the path of running a brand new country. Kristen Baldwin. Oh my gosh, this is what tough. choices? Okay. All right. So the first one, again, is called... 
Eden Eternal. Eden Eternal. I mean, that one's got a dark future. And as we know, uh, TV loves nothing better than a dark future. Um, well, I, is that what I want you to think? I know. It, well, the thing is also, I am a little concerned that that one might be too expensive because they have to go to Antarctica and there's a melting ice shelf and a and a un, you know a ancient nation that is uncovered that seems very expensive i don't know so i'm 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 thinking that one might be fake but i'm not sure yet i'm not sure i'm talking it through okay second one um is tell me the second one what if the Bermuda Triangle? Oh, Bermuda Triangle. That one's real. It's so stupid. It's real. It has to be real. And like, clearly they're not underwater. They're just somewhere. Like they're it's somebody. Like you know that like an exec was like, okay, it's lost, but the Bermuda Triangle. And I mean, everybody it's, knows it's lost. It's lost, but literally, what lost was based on. <laughs> So I feel like that has to be real. That has to be real. So then the other one with the small town. The Republic of Sarah. And they have a natural resource and they become, wait, the state? Pulls away? Uh, I believe the town declares itself an independent nation because uh, it mentioned setting the unlikely young mayor and her cabinet of inexperienced locals on the path of running a brand new country. But Kristen, you know I love local politics. I know you do. Oh, okay, okay. My gut is still gonna go with the first one being fake because i do think that like i'm just trying to think like a network tv exec which is very hard and i have a headache but i think that it you know they're thinking okay we'll put them we'll put a woman in charge of the town and it'll be quirky and uh it'll be like northern exposure plus whatever so i feel like that's probably real i'm gonna say the first one's fake Kristen, I'm very sorry, but you can't fool you. It's true. It's fake. It's fake. You got it. You're three for three. You're three That's for three. Amazing. Kristen Baldwin, you were thinking like a network exec, and I admire that. But if I may be so bold, I think this next one might be the one that finally fools you. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for the category of unusual investigators? Because Kristen, cops investigating crimes, that's pretty, that's pretty old fashioned. Let's have, people, let's have people who aren't cops investigating yes. crimes. <clears throat> Number one, evil. A series about the battle between science and religion, evil focuses on a skeptical female clinical psychologist who joins a priest in training and a blue-collar contractor as they investigate <laughs> supposed miracles, demonic possessions, and other extraordinary occurrences to see if there's a scientific explanation or if something truly supernatural is at work. Okay. Number two, vintage crime. Cameron Fox was the youngest Nobel Prize winning scientist in history. When his fiance was murdered on their wedding day, he left science behind to open a vineyard in the Santa Montana wine country. But then the local police department finds a trail of bodies whose deaths all resemble Cameron's wife. Offering to help, he's grudgingly paired with brash detective Carla Wu. Cameron has no filter, but his genetics background makes him a one-man CSI unit. And revenge ages like fine wine. Oh, Number three. Goodness. Number three. Prodigal son. Malcolm Bright has a gift. He knows how killers think, how their minds work. Why? His father was one of the worst, a notorious serial killer called The Surgeon. That's why Bright is the best criminal psychologist around. Murder is the family business. 
my god. <laughs> oh god. Okay. Um, all right. Look. The I'm titles gonna... again. The titles again are Evil, Vintage Crime, and Prodigal Son. Okay. Talk Here, me through it. Okay. I'm going to admit that I have heard of Evil. Like, I think that's an actual show. Um, so I feel like I've heard of that. So I'm going to set that one aside. So Vintage Crime and Prodigal Son. Tell me again, Vintage Crime, he's like a, his wife was murdered or his fian- girlfriend was murdered? Youngest Nobel Prize winning scientist yep. in history. Yep. Fiance murdered on their wedding day. Yep. Moved to the Santa Montana wine country. Open a vineyard. Okay. 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 But then there are other murders, right? Trail of bodies found by local police department. (laughs) All deaths resemble Cameron's wife. Does he use his money to solve the crimes? His genetics background makes him a one-man CSI unit. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's kind of like, remember that one where um, uh, Justin Kirk played the rich guy who bought like a really expensive surveillance system (laughs) Oh my God, Elon Musk fixes Chicago? Of course I remember that show. Oh my God, you're so right. So that one's, uh, so that could be real. Okay, here's my thinking. Let's hear it. I'm thinking that the only reason I think that Prodigal Son may be fake is that I can see a network executive being like, oh, but is anyone really going to root for the son of a serial killer? (laughs) Even though he's like a good guy and trying to like, they're just going to still like, isn't that always going to be the problem? So it's hard. It's a toss up, but I'm going to say that's the reason that one's fake. You're saying prodigal son is fake. Yes. Prodigal son is real. Prodigal son is real. And it's coming at you. It's coming at you from Greg Berlanti and various other people. It's true. It's true. Berlanti, How could you murder is the family business? Okay. Okay. So Kristen, I, I feel confident now. I have a couple more categories here. Can I can I try a few more out on you? These sure. are my sort of these are my kind of backups, but now I want to see if I can actually fool you one more time. Okay. Okay. The category is musical stars, TV shows with musicians you might know attached to them. Okay. Number one, Nick and Drew. The year is 1999, and two brothers from Cincinnati are about to enter the big, wild world of musical megastardom when heartthrob Nick Winters brings his sensitive young brother Drew to a local boy band audition. They wind up fronting the hottest act in teen pop, based on the life and work of musical icons Nick and Drew Lachey. Icons! Number two, untitled Hank Steinberg, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson Project, a serialized legal and family drama about a prisoner who becomes a lawyer litigating cases for other inmates while fighting to overturn his own life sentence for a crime he didn't commit. His quest for freedom is driven by his desperate desire to get back to the family he loves and reclaim the life that was stolen from him. Hmm. Number two, uh, sorry, number three. The Heart of Life. Inspired by John Mayer's hit song, Heart of Life follows two sets of adult siblings from wildly different worlds who discover they're related and must reassess everything they thought they knew about their shared father. As they explore the mystery of their separate childhoods, they'll experience the difficulty in overcoming the sins of the past and learn the joys of reuniting with long lost family. This is hard. Okay. What are we thinking? I'm thinking that Curtis 50 Cent Jackson is producing a lot of shows, and I feel like 
Uh, he is producing a lot of shows. I feel like that could be a show. You're saying he's in that one? Uh, it says that he's attached. Okay, so he could uh, be... I have no more information about that, or I haven't thought that through Yes, enough. okay. So I feel like that one could be real. Um, I'm trying to think about whether or not the boy band one, the Lachey brothers, uh, like, is that something that the networks would still think would work? You know, boy bands are for the most part, unless you're talking K-pop, are, are pretty much, you know, in in uh, our rear view mirror as a culture. Um, so that's my concern about that one. Um, sorry, and the third one was a John Mayer song. <clears throat> Inspired by John Mayer's hit song, Heart of Life. I've literally the... never heard of that song, um, but I believe you. I haven't either, or have I? Okay. I, here's what I'm going to say. I don't want to live in a world where they are adapting John Mayer songs into TV shows. So I, whether or not, you know, that's the reason I'm going to say that's the fake one. <laughs> Kristen, you're living in that world. No! This is the world we're living in. The no! heart of life inspired by John Mayer's hit song. Good God. So what's fake? Sadly, Nick and Drew oh. is not a show just yet. But Nick and Drew Lachey, if you're out there, call me. Yes, that's um, a great idea. Kristen, I have one more category for you here. You've done fantastic here. I have to say, if anyone knows television, you certainly do. You certainly have seen inside the mind of a modern TV (laughs) executive. But I think I may have stumped you with this last one. The category is new, old cop shows. Oh, yeah. These are investigation-based shows uh, that are perhaps based on material that is pre-existing. Number one, New York Undercover. It's still hip-hop, but New York City has changed. Picking up 20 years after the end of the iconic series that changed the face of TV cop dramas, New York Undercover will follow detectives Nat Gilmore and Melissa Ortiz as they investigate the city's most dangerous criminals from Harlem to Battery Park. Number two. Frankenstein. A San Francisco homicide detective is mysteriously brought back to life after being killed in the line of duty, but as he resumes his old life and he and his wife realize he isn't the same person he used to be, they zero in on the strange man (laughs) behind his resurrection, Dr. Victor Frankenstein. Amazing. Amazing. Number three. NYPD Blue. The return of NYPD Blue follows Andy Sipowicz's son, Theo, as he tries to earn his detective shield and work in the 15th squad while investigating his father's murder. What do we got here, Kristen? What are we thinking? I New York think... Undercover, Frankenstein, NYPD Blue. I think, and this may just be because I've, I feel like I've seen these headlines, I think they're all real. You got it! They're all real! Frankenstein! They're all being developed! Frankenstein PD! Wasn't there just another Frankenstein like show a couple years back? Like the Frankenstein I, Code or something? Maybe? I know there have definitely been shows about dead and or immortal cops. For sure. Oh, well, you're thinking of, because uh, there was Moonlight. Uh, when he was a starring, vampire. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then uh, there was New Amsterdam. The yes, other New Amsterdam. The other New Amsterdam. Not the New Amsterdam. That's the, that's the new New Amsterdam. The old New Amsterdam. And then um, there was Forever, where it was Yoan Griffith uh, solving crimes with somebody. And he, like, I think never died. I can't remember. He could die, right. but then he would always come back to life. That's right. That was the new New Amsterdam that wasn't called New Amsterdam. No, no. Um, that new New Amsterdam now, was new, new, or old New Amsterdam was Nikolai Coster Waldo. 
Kristen, you know your New Amsterdams, and yes. you know television. Sorry, I am my very, I am very impressed, uh, and I have to say, uh, I'm excited for some of these pilots that are coming out. <laughs> I, I think wait I'm, for Bermuda I Triangle. I'm, I think I'm mainly excited for Triangle. Yes! <laughs> I, think, I think that's the one that grabbed my eye the I most. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I can't wait for Triangle. Kristen, we've talked a lot uh, in the last few minutes about shows that might be coming to television sometime soon. Um, but let's talk about something that's on right now that we actually kind of like. Is, is that okay? Can we kind of shift gears a little yes. bit? Yes. Uh, let's do that. So now it is time for Now and Again, which is not just an underrated 1999 CBS drama starring Eric Close and Dennis Haysbird. It is also the segment where Darren and I discuss past shows that we're re-watching or just now discovering. I'm Sorry is a half-hour comedy that premiered on True TV in July of 2017, and it stars actress and comedy writer Andrea Savage as comedy writer Andrea Warren, who lives in L.A. with her loving and very patient husband Mike, played by Tom Everett Scott, and their cute daughter Amelia, played by Olive Petrucci. And the show is really a cringe comedy about adulthood, parenthood, and the general awkwardness of being. Uh, I would liken it to Curb Your Enthusiasm if Larry David was a mom, whose anxieties about raising a confident daughter sometimes got her into very comically uncomfortable situations. Uh, I recently started watching season one on Netflix at the strong urging of our editor, Patrick Gomez, and it definitely has some laugh out loud moments. Um, there's an episode, episode two is called Racist Daughter, and Andrea and Mike are horrified to learn that Amelia doesn't like people with dark skin, and their efforts to combat this, of course, have hilariously bad results. Uh, also, for Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans, and yes, Darren, for me, all roads lead back to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Jason Manzukas, a.k.a. Adrian Pimento. He recurs on I'm Sorry as Andrea's comedian friend Kyle, and he really steals every scene he's in. His reaction to Amelia's racism especially was fantastic. Um, so sometimes, much like Curb Your Enthusiasm, I feel like the writers on I'm Sorry have to work a little too hard to contort the stories so that they all connect at the end of the episode. But overall, I think it's funny and definitely worth checking out if you enjoy cringe comedy. Darren, I know Patrick was urging you to watch it too, so what's your take? I listen to Patrick. I watch this show. I really like it a lot. Uh, I do think that you're kind of onto something with the Curb Your Enthusiasm comparison, Kristen. Mm -hmm. And I might even add that in the same way that we talked a little bit how with uh, the show Russian Doll, I, I sort of suspect that if I still lived in New York, I might like it more. Mm -hmm. um, this show feels almost geo-specifically targeted at people living in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, you know, there are just like, there's a feel to the show that I, and I think a lot of people in this city just sort of watch and say like, that is my life except funnier and everyone is better looking. <laughs> right. uh, and, uh, you know, things seem to flow in an even more funny and, and you know, awkward way. Um, my main reaction to the show is that uh, Andrea Savage is someone who, you know, Kristen, in, in the work that we do, we tend to know about people who... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, of how to phrase this. By the time someone creates a show, we usually have seen them in other things yeah. and we know who they are. And she's truly someone where I watched the first episode of season two and I said, I, I know that face. I must have seen her in something, but I, I just couldn't place her. She's had an incredible career yeah. in nearly every show of the last, uh, you know, 20 or so years, it seems. Um, you know, just, you know, guest starring in sitcoms. She was in the West Wing at one point. She had a key role on Veep that was really 
fantastic. Um, so really, I just I'm so happy that she has this great showcase for her. I think that as a kind of lead, um, there's something really just casual and funny about her. You know, her kind of reactions to things feel mm-hmm. very, very funny, but pretty organic for the most part. Um, some of the comedic situations can kind of go from zero to 60 pretty quickly. <laughs> but yeah. I, I just kind of like her a lot as a performer. Um, and uh, Tom Everett Scott, who's one of my kind of just favorite actors, who's also been in a lot of things. I feel like their dynamic as husband and wife is really good. It yeah. reminds me it reminds me in a very different way of the dynamic of uh, the main two characters on Catastrophe. Just mm-hmm. this, this kind of casual and chill and relaxed and funny marital dynamic, um, which I really liked a lot. Um, I, I, I have to say, it's, it's not a show where I was immediately kind of like, oh man, I have to watch this all the time. Right. Uh, but like, I'm, I'm glad it exists is how I would sort of like uh, describe my reaction to this show. Yeah, <laughs> and you've, I, you've watched more of it, I, I, I think, uh, than, uh, than I have. Um, do you kind of find from season one to season two, is there sort of an evolution or is it, is it, is it kind of finding its tone correctly? I will say that I, I kind of chose the episodes from season one, which is now on Netflix. I chose them sort of based on the descriptions, you know, like, d- does that sound funny to me or not? And, um, you know, it was the kind of thing where I, I do feel like you could watch, You this is not something where you have to watch the whole season or you're not going to be uh, able to enjoy it. Uh, so I do, I do think that it's a good sort of show to dip in and dip out if you want to watch something funny. I haven't seen the season two premiere yet. I know it's airing now on True TV Wednesdays at 10, I believe. Um, but, you know, I think it's the same thing where I'll check out, you know, what is this week's episode about and does that sound funny to me? Because it's not like, uh, you know, it really is about the situations and whether they feel relatable to you. And honestly, if Jason Manzoukas is in any episode, I'll watch it just because I love him. Those um, scenes those scenes with him are really, really great. He is fantastic. I, feel like, I think he, he must be like two steps away from his own sort of created yes. by a starring role in, in, in a TV show. Um, if indeed it hasn't already happened on one of the thousand streaming services. Right. And I'd be really, I'd be really on board with that. I mean, he's also been so great um, in his guest starring turns as Derek on The Good Place. Uh, yes. And of course, he, he's wonderful. He, he has a podcast, uh, How Did This Get Made, uh, with June Diane Raphael and Paul Shear. Um, so I'm, I, but he's, he really adds a lot to the show. Those scenes of him as the kind of writing partner, I, I think, are really, really funny. And have that nice flow. To me, that's maybe the most Curb Your Enthusiasm-ish yeah. part of the show. It has that perfectly somehow improvised and yet perfectly funny vibe that I think you know you obviously only get from very talented performers working at a very high level yes and there's just you know there's really good sort of uh comedy casting like one episode in season one has uh john ross bowie who is now plays the dad on speechless and he plays a a parent uh of one of their daughter's friends and they become friends with this couple and it's you know it's always hard to become friends with couples when you're when you've got kids and it's like this fragile state of you know (laughs) how do we maintain and grow this friendship and then of course something you know totally awkward happens and sends it you know torpedoes it and he was great in that role it's just like it's seems like it's a show that really uh is it, it respects comedy and it it you know gives uh all these you know sort of maybe under under appreciated actors uh you know roles to be funny in and so i'm i'm hoping that uh that continues but i know you know i think i'm glad patrick told us to watch it i don't thanks, know that patrick. It, thanks patrick we're not you just saying best. that because you're our boss um <laughs> but i do i think you know it's i'm i'll probably eventually make make it through all the episodes of season one on on netflix and 
you know definitely will be checking out season two so uh if you enjoy if you enjoy a good cringe uh i'm sorry which uh airs wednesdays on true tv and season one's on netflix is uh the cringe comedy uh of the moment I'm having a light bulb moment here live, Kristen. We should have a new segment that we occasionally do called Patrick Knows Best, where <laughs> Patrick Patrick tells us to watch a show. Yes. Because <laughs> he usually does know best. He does. That wraps it up for this week's episode of Best of Shows. Uh, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. Let us know what you think. We're critics, which means we have to listen to criticism, unfortunately. And we do love hearing from you about what we're talking about and what shows you're watching. You can tweet at Kristen. She's at Kristen G. Baldwin. I'm at Darren Franich on Twitter. I should have a catchphrase, but I don't. So bye. Bye.